Deadline's Doc Talk episode is sponsored by National Geographic Documentary Films, presenting Bobby Wine, the People's President. In Uganda's 2021 presidential election, music star, activist, and opposition leader Bobby Wine rallies his people in a dangerous fight for freedom from an oppressive 35-year regime. Bobby Wine, the People's President, starts streaming on Hulu and Disney Plus October 6th. Hey, welcome to Doc Talk. Doc Talk is a new podcast where each week we dig into the critical content being created by some of today's most outstanding documentary filmmakers, storytellers, and industry leaders. Our co-host, Matt Carey, is away today. He's at the Camden International Film Festival, no doubt, loading up on some new films. I'm your other co-host, John Ridley. It is a pleasure to be here with you. Over the last week, I had the opportunity to watch a really fascinating film that deals with an issue that's only becoming more fraught and more politicized with each passing year. And I know that while Americans have become used to election year chants of build the wall, the United States isn't the only country that chooses building barriers over dealing with issues of immigration. There are currently more border walls both in existence or in the process of being built than at any other time in history. And according to the Migration Policy Institute, 74 border walls exist across the globe, and most of those have been built over the last two decades. The Institute notes that most of the walls are designed to prevent, quote-unquote, illegal immigration. One of the newest walls was built on the border between Poland and Belarus, and in her debut film, Walls, actor-turned-director Kasia Smutniak documents the effects of the wall on both migrants as well as communities within Poland itself. It's a pleasure to welcome to Doc Talk the director of the film Walls, Kasia Smutniak. Kasia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you really for having me here. Thank you. It's a pleasure and certainly a pleasure to have you on. The conversation, the film is incredibly powerful about a very difficult subject and you do an amazing job of really putting a face both on issues of immigration as well as the individuals who are doing everything they can to try to help these individuals. So I want to get to that. I want to get to the film. I want to get to your transition from being an actor to a director. But first, if you can, most of our audiences in America, I never want to compare tragedies. I know people here have a sense of issues of immigration in our country, but I want to try to understand the issues in Poland, where you're originally from, in Belarus, how this issue has come about and what the response has been. So if you can, if you talk a little bit about what's going on on the border and how some people may consider this issue slightly manufactured by Belarus. So the the genesis of the crisis, it's quite easy and obvious to everyone. It started a few years ago with a, a need, a, a, a will of Belarusian President Lukashenko to push the migration crisis to the other border, which is Poland and Belarus, and kind of open a new way to Europe. And the message that was around this new way was it is actually the safest way, safest than the Mediterranean Sea. So the, there was a campaign around it in countries like Iraq, Afghanistan and Syria to selling visas to Minsk, and then few days stay in Minsk, then organized trips to Belarusian border and uh, the false message that there will be humanitarian organizations and a free pass to Europe through Poland. 
what happened is that the most vulnerable people, families with kids, elder people, families with relatives, um, you know, sick people, people that could never make it on a journey through Mediterranean Sea, they decided to take this journey. So the most desperate people, let's say. Right. There was a, a film a few years ago, Flea, the director said that, you know, migration is, is, is not a descriptor, it's a state of being. Yeah. Uh, most people do not migrate simply because they can, although some people do. So every time someone migrates, it's usually from distress, but this is almost human trafficking in a way. Yeah. Where people are being, as you say, brought over under false pretenses and then almost forced, pushed across the border from Belarus to Poland. This is exactly how you, you can see how the immigration and the crisis was used politically to create a crisis, political crisis on a border with Europe and to give a focus on that border and who knows what else. And that was happening just a few months before the war with Ukraine started. So that is another interesting issue here. The crisis on the border, so like the first news of the first group of people that came and by the end of August 2021, just right after the fall of Kabul, happened with a group of 35 refugees trapped in the forest. And even though they were asking for asylum in Poland, they couldn't cross, they were not accepted. And they were separated from anyone that wanted to help them, like, you know, people that were living in close to that area, people, some of them that became activists or lawyers or uh, journalists, basically, the, not, nothing was provided to them, no food, no drink, no shelter. And they stayed like this for a few weeks in that forest. And that was very dramatic. And there were little kids, sick elder people. A pregnant woman. It was a very, very dramatic situation. I started to follow what was happening on that border from that group, starting from that group, so from the beginning. And there was not so many on the news, basically. And I started to use the social media to follow directly reporters, just regular people that were living close to the border, activists, anyone that who was there and could give me a feedback what was happening. I started to follow them and creating first connections with them. And a few months later, I proposed to a friend of mine. He's a great reporter, Diego Bianchi from Propaganda Life. It's an Italian program. And I proposed him to go to Poland and to do a reportage about it. So out of this, we did a 50, uh, 50 minutes reportage that went live on Italian television. And that was the first time that I, I understood what tool I actually have and how I can use my popularity and what a great tool is actually telling stories and how powerful it is. Let's talk about those two things for a second, your, your popularity and using that. You talk about being in Italy, but you're, you're originally from Poland. You were born in Poland, correct? Yes, yes. I, I was born in Poland and I left Poland when I was 19, but I live in Italy. My family, my parents, my grandparents, they're all in Poland, but my new family with my kids, my husband, my kids, they're in Italy. So I was always, you know, a person in the middle. <laughs> I was, uh, I am, I am Polish, Italian, Italian, Polish, whatever. So obviously being Polish gave me a possibility to, to that was one of the most important factors that I could actually make this movie. I don't think no one that is not Polish can actually access this easily to people and information there. Anyway, but that's that's later. <laughs> and, and let's talk about one more thing, though, because you, your popularity and for some folks who may not know you, you are 
a working and successful actor. You have worked with, among many people, and I just say this as a shout-out, Paolo Sorrentino, who is one of my favorite directors. Laurel was uh, an amazing film. Uh, (laughs) Very lonely film, but it was quite an amazing film. So this is, you have a career, you have a life, you have a new life in Italy, but this story, you're watching this from a distance, and it is so powerful, and as you say, in some ways, personal. I mean, you felt it took an individual who had a connection to tell this story. You didn't want to leave it to anyone else. Mm. Yes, it's funny, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm so happy that actually we started the more from Toronto, from the other side of the globe. And I was thinking, how I can you use this popularity to shout out a matter that is important to me, and I think it's worth it to share, which was the main, you know, motive why I did this documentary, more like an act of rebellion mm. rather than, you know, trying to do a movie as a director. You know, trying to get some attention from people that might be interested in my person as a famous whatever, you know, just trying to use this popularity somehow. But then I ended up doing something that is actually much more powerful because I met people here in Toronto. They don't, they know nothing about me. They don't know who I am, what's my story. What, they don't even know that I'm an actor and they don't care. So it means that we managed to actually tell the story of the regular just like a human story, like a human being story, simple things that everyone can connect to it. And that was my main goal. And I'm really happy if we achieved it. Yeah, you say um, simple things that people can relate to. You also mentioned an act of rebellion. And I think what's important for, for folks in America to understand, we talk about the walls here, but our reporters, our journalists, even individuals, they can go to the border wall. Whether they like the wall or not, they can go and they can see it. In Poland right now, this area where the wall is built, this is called the red zone, correct? This is restricted. Right. So journalists are not allowed to go there. Tourists are not allowed to go there. So talk about that. Talk about the wall, because some people may be saying, okay, well, this sounds like a tough subject, but sure, she can go and film it. That's not the way it is, correct? Yes, exactly. So the extraordinary, the new fact was the creation of the red zone that was also called a dead zone, which doesn't mean it's the zone where people are dying, that also this is happening, but is the dead zone, no information of what is happening in that zone, no journalists, no uh, humanitarian organizations, not even politicians could go there. So no one, only people that would live in that area or like medics that actually have a permission to get inside there you have to go through the whole checkpoints and it's tricky um no one from outside can even go and visit their families and relatives so the red zone was uh it was a crazy like just because you create something like this and call it an extraordinary area it already gave an idea of a fear to all people that are living close to that area and in that area. And by the time I was there and I was shooting, there was no possibility to enter that red zone at all, not legally, at least. And there was one possibility to do it, is to actually sign up for an official visit of the wall site when they were building. So you just sign up as a journalist, which I did, and you wait. Um, they might agree. They might not agree. A great deal of the film 
because you can't uh, go to the wall, or at least, as you say, not, not legally go and see the wall, the film is very harrowing because it is about you and other individuals. It's almost like, and I'm not trying to minimize what's going on, it's like the Blair Witch Project. It's like a horror film where you're going into the woods, where you're being, quote-unquote, hunted by the police, by drones. There are moments where you and others are literally throwing yourself flat on the ground. Another moment where, to try to get a look at the wall of the air, you're, you're taking a glider and flying around. Just talk about, for you personally, what it was like, you know, moment to moment, knowing that you're going to a place where you're not just going to be turned around, waved away, but individuals were gassed, they were pushed back, they were treated very roughly by police officers or by law enforcement in, in, in Poland. Well, there was definitely a few moments I thought uh, it is a mistake and my father will kill me. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and so your father, uh, by the way, he, he was in the military. Yes, yes, I'm from a military family. That that is another, you know, another thing that that actually helped me because you know it's a natural thing for me to be around people with guns and you know mm. big boys with guns. It's <laughs> it's uh, I know how to deal with them. I know how to you know how to be around this kind of situation. That that doesn't frighten me. That's my I grew up like this, mm. so it's fine. But that was not my main concern. My main concern was what if I, I'm not strong enough mentally and I will find myself in a situation that I will have to make a choice and I know I will just give up everything. I wouldn't care about shooting this documentary. I wouldn't care about my safety. I wouldn't care probably about anything else. I would just, I don't know, take people with me. Mm. That was my biggest fear. Really, I really hoped I, I wouldn't find myself in a situation that there are people dying or, you know, just facing death. I, I'm, I'm not this strong enough. That was very clear for me. That was my, my biggest fear. Can you imagine how weird is that? So it was not like danger is danger and okay, what they can do to me anyway. You know, I can go to jail and that's it. I'll get a lawyer. But my biggest fear was a moral feel. How would I deal with a tragedy? Mm. And that was an option every single day I was there. And all this tremendous story I heard and people that witnessed death in um, death bodies in, in the forest and the most tremendous and horrible things that are happening there. Well, I saw their faces and they're just regular people like me. They're not psychologically prepared to to face it and i was not myself psychologically prepared i was strong enough i don't think i would be strong enough deadlines doc talk episode is sponsored by national geographic documentary films presenting bobby wine the people's president in Uganda's 2021 presidential election, music star, activist, and opposition leader Bobby Wine rallies his people in a dangerous fight for freedom from an oppressive 35-year regime. Playlist hails it as a portrait of unfathomable political courage, and the San Francisco Chronicle boldly declares it a clarion call against authoritarianism. The film made its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival and has screened at Telluride, BFI London International Film Festival, Two Falls, among many others. 
taking home audience awards at the Hamptons International Film Festival, Boston International Film Festival, and CPH Docs. Bobby Wine, the People's President, starts streaming on Hulu and Disney Plus October 6th. There's a, a moment in the film, you, you connect with, um, you talk about activists, people who go out into the, these forests where individuals, you talked about pregnant women, there's an individual in a wheelchair who's trying to make it across the border, children with special needs, I believe a 40-month-old child. So the, you mentioned this before, these are not even nearly hardy individuals, Not certainly not all of them making the trek. These are the most distressed of humankind. You meet people, uh, individuals like uh, Zosia, Mark, that go out and try to try to help. They bring food, they bring clothes, they bring shoes. I was lucky to meet them and lucky to meet such different people with different stories. People that became activists, not by choice. There's only one girl, the Italian, Silvia. She's taking it as a job. I mean, it's her passion, but it's, a, it's her choice. She wants to be a professional activist. She studied for it. She knows she needs to stop. She knows that she needs tools in order to do it right. Otherwise, she cannot do it. Others, like, for example, Jakub, he translates from Arabic languages. So he ended up there saying, hey, I speak Arabic. Do you guys need me? And then he ended up helping people in a forest, dying people in the forest. And his trauma is, is huge. And there is people like Mariusz. Mariusz is a father of three kids that he raised himself and he doesn't sleep anymore. He's doing one thing. He gave up his job. He gave up everything in his life. He, he's like a hunter and he's hunting people in the forest. And it's a matter of time because time is life or death. So he has this adrenaline, which is not guided by anything that is close to enthusiasm, you know, to, for, as a hunter, but he is hunting people. He's checking for the signs in order to save them, help them, bring them water, food, whatever. And Zosia, this Polish girl, she lives in Galles. She never, she never been to, to the border. And she's the most traumatized because she became the first contact that people have in the forest. They send the first pictures and people seeking for help. She's the first number to contact. So she has to do with people that are crying. She's trying to keep them alive on the phone, on the phone. I mean, how much responsibility this girl have? And if she sleeps, no one will answer this phone. So she doesn't sleep. This is a situation that we're living now, not only on the Polish-Belarusian border. There are people that were forced, somehow forced, like forced by a system that is not resolving anything. So some people are doing their best. Some people are doing what they can. So for you, you know, now that this wall was completed in 2022, what is the situation like now? So the most tragic thing in all this is that this will haven't changed anything. Spending all this money and, and, you know, finding as a solution a wall and destroying the most antique, the oldest forest in Europe. That's the only place in Europe where we have still have bisons. It's, it's such a beautiful place and so magic. So 
in order to build this wall, they destroyed the forest. And yet this wall doesn't stop anyone. There's more and more people coming. More and more people coming because the unstable situation, political situation in that country doesn't give any chance to people. So when there's no choice, they, w- they would just try. It doesn't make any sense to, to build walls. You know, the Berlin Wall, that was a different story, but it still was a wall. It separated families, people, and me, you know, raising for the first 10 years of my life on the other side of the wall. This gave me an idea of what freedom is. So I haven't lost this freedom yet. So I don't know what, what it means to have freedom and lose it, but I know exactly what it means to not have freedom and then suddenly to have it. And the idea that there's a wall, a new wall, there'll be a wall in my country. It just, I just went, you know, I just went crazy about it. I just, um, I mean, it was kind of my whole focus. At the time, no one really cared about the wall because when I started to shoot, Putin attacked uh, Ukraine. So, um, you say something interesting though, because you understand not having freedom and then having it, which many of us don't quite understand. We we take our freedoms and we take our, our liberties for granted. And part of that being from Poland. And part of this story being very personal, because if I understand correctly, there are really two walls that are talked about or, or dealt with in an emotional way in this film, the, the border wall, but also at, toward the end of this film, you, you go to, I believe it's your, your grandparents' house. Is that correct? And you're collecting some yes. artifacts. And there's another wall beyond the house that you can see. Tell us, if I'm understanding correctly, the, this other wall and why it's a reminder about freedom and, and liberty and, and what can happen when we lose that or take it for granted. So when we were talking about the point of view of a witness of someone that is living close to the tragedy, but it's not living the tragedy, but close to the tragedy, it it has an individual that has a choice to click that picture or not. That is the closest thing I can understand, um, thinking of people living close to the Litzmannstadt ghetto. So my grandmother lives in the middle of the ex-Litzmannstadt ghetto, which was the second biggest ghetto in the world, mm. the first ever made. It's a Jewish ghetto. Correct. Yeah, Jewish ghetto. And from the window, from the, the kitchen's window, uh, my grandmother's kitchen's window, you can see the brick wall of a Jewish cemetery. And that wall was the first wall of of my life, the one I was watching and witnessing, you know, and I was always questioning myself, what was life of people that were living close to that wall? And by exploring uh, the story of that ghetto and the point of view of my grandmother, and then exploring how much it's there left from the past and kind of bringing it together, these two walls, the new wall and the old wall. And there is also different walls because the forest is kind of a natural barrier as a Mediterranean Sea is. And there is a moral also wall. The moral wall, it was so obvious to me when the war started and there was a wave of uh, help from whole Europe and Poland in order to help Ukrainian refugees. And that feeling was so spontaneous and so so beautiful that that was another 
tremendously big wall between refugees, different types of refugees, different types of helping and different types of morality. The film is Walls. The director is Kasia Smutniak. Kasia, this film is incredible. It's powerful. Obviously, it's very, very personal. But I have to say that you helped me understand a situation that while we deal with this in the United States of America, people deal with it around the world, this is very particular to Poland. And I think, as you say, and to your credit, it took someone like yourself, who is both very passionate, uh, to find a very personal way to tell an incredibly human story. Congratulations on the film, and thank you so much for joining us on Doc Talk. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. That was my conversation with actor-turned-director Kasia Smutniak on her new film, Walls. I highly encourage you, if you can, to take a look at it. It opened to critical acclaim at this year's Toronto International Film Festival. And as I record right now, I'm very sad to say um, this film does not yet have distribution but I would say to anyone within the sound of my voice, if they have the power to pull the trigger on a film, this would be the one. What I really appreciated about her film is that while there are generalities to issues of immigration everywhere, each nation, each country, each way that it's dealt with is incredibly specific. And Kasha and her film found a way to make this story incredibly personal, incredibly powerful. I was reminded as I was watching the film of, of another film that was about immigration, this one from uh, 2021, a Danish film, Flee, by director Jonas Rasmussen, another film that was incredibly powerful, but found a way to be really personal in its dispensation about this issue. And there was a, a line from the film, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but talking about immigration and saying that being a migrant, it's, it's not a descriptor, it's a state of being. And the vast majority of individuals who are uh, engaged in migration, they're not doing it as a result of a personal choice, but largely because of circumstances that the individual finds themselves in. And when watching these stories and understanding that these individuals are not migrating because they want to, but because they have to, and seeing how they are greeted and seeing how they are either welcomed or rejected it just makes these stories all the more powerful. Um, not always pleasant, but powerful. But that is why we're here with Doc Talk, talking to filmmakers who bring these kinds of stories to us on a, on a regular basis. Um, that's going to do it for this week. I deeply appreciate you joining us. We look forward to speaking to you again on another episode of Doc Talk. Mm-hmm.